It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PB Army, ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to the post-draft edition of the Purple Podcast. The Minnesota Vikings make 11 picks over the weekend, and we are here to analyze all of them, or at least the ones that we deem to be interesting enough to talk about. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad from 1500 ESPN. We have the the trio back together, the power trio back together, uh, after my week in Bristol last week. Uh, the Vikings, of course, very busy over the weekend, making seven trades, two up, five down. Come out of this draft with 11 players headlined by Florida State running back Dalvin Cook and capped off by North Carolina State cornerback Jack Taco. I think I'm saying that correctly. No, I think Maybe. it's Tocho, Ta- isn't Tocho? it? Tocho? I don't know. <laughs> well, there I, couldn't be two tacos in one know. draft. It, it's spelled differently. It's not It's not the, the classic spelling of taco. I'm not sure. But the Vikings make 11 picks. Uh, lots of needs addressed. Some, however, were not, and we are going to start there. Guys... When you look at the shopping list, so to speak, for this draft, how'd they do? I think that they checked off some of the boxes, but not all of them. The playmaker box was checked off by trading up and picking Delvin Cook. And it, you know, every college guy's highlight reel looks pretty good because they got drafted into the NFL. Sure. But Delvin Cook's looks really good. I, I was going through some of his games against excellent teams like Michigan and Florida. Four touchdowns against Clemson. He is quite a quite a talent. I mean, his explosiveness, and it's hard to take him down on the first hit. He was one of the top pro football focus, had this one of the best in yards after contact in the entire nation. And you consider the quality of competition he's playing against. He is an exciting prospect that was right up there with all of his grades with Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. But the the off-the-field stuff allowed him to drop, and for the Vikings, if that works out, if there are no issues, that could end up being a home run for them. The interior lineman was necessary. They don't have a right guard currently. We're not really sure who it's going to be, but you know, bringing Pat Elfline into that mix, now we can figure that he will likely start at center. Joe Berger will move to guard. 
I think that that it was a big thing for us checking off that box. The one for me that was not checked off, though, was a future tackle. I thought that there needed to be a pick of a developmental type prospect who could eventually become a starting tackle on the right or left side because I look at Riley Reef and Mike Remmers as just filling those roles for this year and then not sure what's going to come beyond that. And I guess we know that what's coming beyond that will not have come from this draft. And you also have a, uh, a case now where if a tackle gets hurt, boys, good luck there. Yes, who's back out there? Yeah, so you're back to... I really thought that they were going to take steps to give themselves a bit of immediate depth. And as far as I can tell, they have not. So if your two uh, tackles that you signed can play all 16 games, that's fantastic. But I believe the total number of starts, if I'm not mistaken, or players rotated between the left and right tackle in 2016 was seven, correct? Yeah. Seven different starts. So you are in a situation where, once again, you're going to go to training camp with your fingers thoroughly crossed that those two tackles stay healthy, and if they do not, to your point, what you just said, Ben Gessling, is welcome back, T.J. Clemmings, and we're right back in the same old box. Yes, or Willie Beavers, which I'm not sure that that should give anybody a lot more reason to sleep well at night. I don't know he even makes it out of camp this time again because he didn't last. Yeah, and I I think it was also interesting to hear Rick Spielman talk about how they're going to change the way they block. I would interpret that to be more of a zone-blocking type thing than we've seen in the past. And you may have certain guys that fit better in that type of scheme than they did in the past, but you're still you're yeah you're you're asking for you're counting on having really good luck with health, and there is a certain amount of randomness with injuries, and there's a certain amount of well, if we had it happen last year, the odds are we're not going to have as many of them this year. But I just, do you want to count on that? I mean. Well, that, I, it that still would seems be, like they need to add another tackle here at some point. Yeah, that would be like saying, well, I got heads last time, so I won't get heads again. Yeah, It's a different coin flip every yep. single time. Yep. So it's really not predictive from one year to the next whether you're going to have injuries. The other thing, too, if they don't sign anyone else, which I think that they should on the offensive line, I'll keep saying the guy's name. Austin Pastor is the guy to get because he can play guard or right tackle. He played as a starter for the Browns last year and wasn't bad. So if you had a guy go down, he could fill multiple positions and has that experience as a starter. I'd like to see him. But there's even a couple of other guys. Ryan Clady would be someone if you bring in as a backup, might not be a bad idea, or King Dunlap, who was let go. These weren't great linemen. They got released. But they are guys with NFL experience. I think that relying also on Pat Elfline, a third-round pick to come in and be your starter and saying, all right, you're slotted right in, is a lot different than asking Delvin Cook to come right in. Yeah. At running back, usually Rick Spielman talked about this with us uh, when we met with him before the draft. Running back, you can usually be slotted right in and expect it to make an impact, and you can count on that from what the guy has done in college. The offensive line is a different story. Mm -hmm. Even if a guy played for a really big school, you are talking about just a different caliber of human being that he's going to be asked to move in the the guys who play nose tackle in this league. Think about Linval Joseph. Like, Think about what he brings to you, or Mike Daniels for uh, the the Green Bay Packers. So why, why would why would you have Elfline play center off the bat and not guard? To me, it seems like the transition, at least at guard, while not simple, 
would be a little bit easier than potentially all the things that go with playing center, which is you know potential line calls and things like that. I was surprised that they wouldn't actually start him at guard and leave Berger alone for 2017. I guess I might look at it as the center would be a little bit easier to hide than the guard. If you look at when they put in Nick Easton last year, I don't think that Easton played particularly well, but Berger at guard had a bigger impact there. Also, I think that they might see Elfline long-term as a center because he's not a very good pass blocker. And I think if you're not a very good pass blocker at the guard position when you face those three techniques or sometimes when they blitz and you've got to go up against the mm-hmm. DN coming inside on you, or that could be really tough where the center has to face a lot less of that when he's yeah. handling nose tackles. Yeah, we heard a lot of that a couple of years ago when the Vikings got rid of Charlie Johnson. They They were not exactly shy about sort of hinting that well Matt Khalil is going to be a lot better off now that we have somebody else playing over there at first it was Brandon Fusco and then it was Alex Boone but there was this idea that yeah the the pass protection part of this is going to be a lot easier because when you're picking up blitzes and trying to figure out who's got whom and and what we what we do when we're getting a couple of twists in our in our gaps or they're they're flooding our gap with a couple of different guys yeah there is a lot more work to do there and and I think that's certainly um, something that you have to worry about, especially when your two tackles are not the greatest pass protectors in the world either. They're, they're tackles that Mike Zimmer has said are better run blockers than they are pass protectors. So I would agree with that in the sense that if you are going to start him at center, I, and I'm not convinced he starts at center. I, I still think that it's possible Jeremiah Searles is the right guard and Berger is at center. You know, I, I, I think we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, yeah, it, I think there would be an argument for keeping him at center simply because of what you said and and uh, what you can not expose him to right away that you would be exposing to him if you put if you put him a guard. And one thing that will help him in his development is having Joe Berger, yeah. who has been around a long time. And every time I've talked to him, I've come away very impressed. Usually, very those, smart guy. Those centers usually know their stuff, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they they usually have to be some of the brighter guys. Yep. So Linemen Ber- generally are. Yeah, Berger is a great guy for him uh, to learn from. Do you find it interesting at all that the focus of this offseason has been on an element of the National Football League that is not the most important the running in game? terms of winning? Yes, the running game. Yes, you sir. spend your number one draft asset on a running back, which there are plenty of running backs who are majorly valuable to their teams. That You don't have to – I mean, fantasy players know all about this. Um, but – it's a run-blocking tackle, uh, two run-blocking tackles, really, that they signed. A run-blocking interior lineman that they signed. A running back that they drafted. It's been a big part of the conversation. And it's not that you can't win by running the ball if you have a good passing game. But I think when it comes to actual what helps you get closer to winning, uh-huh. it's usually... The passing game, although I will give Mike Zimmer credit, he pointed out that killing the clock is a big part of what they want the running game for, which is how the Patriots use it. The Patriots ran a ton with LeGarrette Blunt last year, but they did it mostly when they were up. Yep. And the same thing with Marshawn Lynch when he was in Seattle. It was when they were up, Marshawn finished this out for us. So maybe they have a grasp of that. But almost all of their assets have been toward guys to improve their run game. Don't you guys think, too, though, that this is morphing into a, it, yes, you you want to improve your uh, position there, but I think what this is is a nod to where offenses are going in this league, which is running backs 
who can do lots of things, right? They can pass protect, hopefully. They can catch the pass. Uh, so I think I think on the surface, you look at the position uh, being re-emphasized now and say, hmm, that's sort of odd and interesting. But I think if you really delve into it, what you're seeing is the focus of teams trying to find guys who can do multiple things well. So I don't feel I don't feel like Cook was just taken to run the ball. I think Cook was taken to run the ball, but also catch the ball. And I think the direction that the West Coast is going is now to have a diversified game, but that also includes, and this becomes the most the toughest thing and the most important thing is if you're going to play on third down, can you block too? It's why Peterson now guys guys like that have a value but it's not near what it used to be because you're looking for guys that can do that can catch the ball, they can run the ball, and then most importantly, protect the quarterback as well. Yeah, and and let's spend a little time on Dalvin Cook in that regard. I mean, we you know we all saw the highlight film and we, we talked about it a little bit, but where does he fit the rest of it? I mean, I, as a receiver, he seems to be a great fit. I mean, it, you know, as a receiver, he made a ton of big plays. I think he averaged like 13 yards after the catch. In college, which is again, you're playing against defenders that aren't going to be as good as what you see in the NFL, but it's a pretty impressive number, and uh, he certainly is going to help in that regard. But you hear about issues with ball security, you hear about issues as a pass protector. How much of a learning curve do we think he's going to have as he comes into this? Hmm. It's a really good question because I think that, in a way, the blocking thing can be an IQ test for guys rather than a test of physical strength. Yes, I would agree with that. As we might know from one Adrian Peterson. I don't know what you're saying about Adrian. What I'm saying is that I was trying to figure out how tough it is to be a good run blocker. So I started watching YouTube videos on, like, what assignments are for for running backs out of the shotgun and, and pass protection. And there's a lot of reads that have to be made and decisions that wouldn't be your... I've got the ball and I'm either running to the outside or cutting back. And those are the only two things. It's if this, then that, if this, then that. And I think it's more complicated. I don't know how well Delvin Cook will respond to that. Uh, Jimbo Fisher said that he's got very smart eyes in reading blocks, but that's kind of different than reading defenses. There's got to be a little bit of quarterback in your mind, too, there when you're the running back reading the blitzes. And I think a lot of guys struggle with it. So I don't know how far he's going to be able to come with that. Yeah. And I, just watching a couple of his games, I thought he was very poor. And the pickups here in this league, world of difference, right? Uh, I would say this. I would, gentlemen, I would flash back to the 2007 National Football League season, and I would envision that the Vikings – running a very similar offense to what they did with Childress and Bevel now with Shermer in 2017 are going to use pretty much the same formula, and that's Delvin Cook on first and second down a lot. Murray comes in, good blocking back, plays the Chester Taylor role on third down. Uh, I think the point of emphasis with Delvin Cook this year is going to be fumbles because I believe throughout his career at Florida State he had 13, which is way too many. So I think if they're going to work on something, it's going to be ball security. But I would not be surprised at all unless he's split out or or used in a unique formation if Delvin Cook's amount of third down plays as a rookie is actually pretty small and Murray sees a ton of time in the old Chester Taylor role, which is you stay in and you can block. And once in a while, you'll get the football too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think they've got now. I mean, the, the thing that's nice is that they've got three guys that that can do a lot of the same things, but you know, in the sense that they can fit the entire scope of the offense. But you do have guys that do certain things better than others. Latavius Murray's going to be a better pass protector. Dalvin Cook's probably going to be your best receiving option of the three. I mean, Jarek McKinnon is probably somewhere in the middle. Jarek McKinnon may be a guy that, uh, being a free agent after this year, he may be uh, in a tough spot here, I think. I I think his future in Minnesota could be um, not as lucrative as it it once had seemed. So... But he, I, mean, I think he's still going to he's going to have a role, and the, the fact that Latavius Murray is probably not going to take part in most of the offseason program does mean that you're going to get a look at Dalvin Cook. I mean, you don't get a, a true sense of what he can do as a pass protector because you can't hit. You don't have any pads on, much to the chagrin of of Mike Zimmer, uh, as he's mentioned several times about the offseason program. But he is going to get a chance to get a, get used to the offense, get some reps with the first team, see where he fits. Um, so I, I think that's a good thing in the sense that uh, with Latavius Murray not around, Cook will get a chance to, to pick up some of those extra reps. Your point about Jarek McKinnon and where he fits in is really interesting to me because I have liked McKinnon from the start. The first two years were really excellent for him, and I yeah. thought last year – I mean, everyone is a product of a bad offensive line yes. last year. And I think he gets lumped into, well, they were dead last, and he was the running back. And I don't think he was utilized all that well by Pat Shermer last year. He was mostly a check down option in the receiving game. Every once in a while, they would use him in the slot, uh, the big touchdown against Dallas that nearly tied that game, if not for a failed two-point conversion, where he runs a nice little quick route and gets open and scores the touchdown there. I think we'll see a lot more of designing ways to get him the ball as a complimentary player or at least we should because he has explosive big playability it's not like he forgot how to play last year I think that it was circumstances and maybe workload also played a role in that but I think if you look at his numbers he was catching the ball more he was running for more yards per carry over the last stretch of last season which I think was maybe Pat Shermer figuring out different ways to get him the ball I would like to see two running back sets here. I'd like to see uh, times where there's two running backs in the backfield and then McKinnon goes out to the slot or goes out wide. There's a play that I, I saw with Delvin Cook where he runs a go route and beats a corner and catches a 40-yard bomb down the side of the field. So with the ability for all these guys to catch the ball and make plays, I think that there's a lot of different options that Pat Shermer's going to have, and it will be a test for him how he uses them. If his offense is rather basic, then that will be a big disappointment and won't be maximizing the skills of all three of these players. So post-draft question for both you guys. How much better or do you feel different about this offense sitting here today than you did on Thursday before this draft started? I feel better about it in the sense that I I thought they were a playmaker short after losing some of the guys they lost. I mean, yeah, Adrian Peterson hadn't been the same Adrian Peterson. Cordero Patterson was somewhat limited in in the scope of how much he could influence the offense. But when you get rid of those guys, there weren't a lot of people that really scare you. I mean, Stephon Diggs and and Adam Thielen are, are solid receivers, but I felt like given the fact that you don't really know what you have behind them and you have running backs that are serviceable, but nobody that really is going to be able to break a game open. I thought they needed another guy and wouldn't look this up 
this morning that I think they had six runs of uh, 20 yards or more last year. That was it. So the fact that they have a guy now that can hit some home runs, I think, is is a big improvement. Um, beyond that, I don't know how much better they are. I mean, Bucky Hodges, the, the guy they took from Virginia Tech, uh, and for the record, my early Mr. Mankato pick oh. – er, High in the power rankings as we on the Mr. Mankato watch list. Draft. You don't have to pick one yet, Gaston. <laughs> uh, well, I just you know people want to know, so I, I like to I like to let people know early, so that it, uh, once Kramer comes in later and tries to claim that I was just cherry picking the the uh, skill position player I saw in minicamp, I I can uh, I can get ahead of it. But uh, I mean, there's some guys late in the draft that may give you something, but you're still in a position where you're probably hoping Laquan Treadwell is a lot better. Um, I, I think the running back situation is certainly better with Dalvin Cook. But beyond that, I, I don't know how much better they are on offense. I think that what they've done here is they've tried their best to set up Sam Bradford to it, let them know whether he's good or not. <laughs> Maybe I could put it that way. Like, we've given you... Yeah, it's tailored towards him, definitely, now. Yes. That's we've, true. We've right. given you a running game. Yep. We've given you guys to dump off to who can make plays. You have your two good wide receivers. We've given you a bunch of other offensive linemen. Two of them are veterans in the league. Another one is a rookie who a lot of people had as their top center in the draft. We've stacked things up more in your favor, so there are no excuses if it goes wrong and you go 7-9 and nine and you complete a lot of passes but not a lot of big passes or you throw a late-game interception that costs your team a game. And think, the things that went wrong for him last year have been entirely pinned on, well, they had a bad offensive line. Well, they had no running game and just have pretty much taken any responsibility for him going seven and eight as a starter off his shoulders. Well, this year, I think that that's off the table, and that's especially important because he's going into a contract year, and they need to decide, is this our long-term quarterback or not? And if he takes this offense that will have a better running game, a better offensive line, better protection, and he goes 11-5, and five, and they're the 15th best offense in the league, then you might say, hmm, well, maybe this is a guy that we can win with. If they still rank 27th, then you'll know that this is not a guy that we should resign long-term, and we should either be, A, hoping for Teddy Bridgewater to recover, or B, looking at all the quarterbacks in next year's draft. Here's a question, though, with Bradford. And you mentioned that scenario where everything works and they're 15th best in the league. Do you pay a guy like that big money? I mean, that 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 seems to be the problem or the question the if Redskins win, have been asking if, themselves with Kirk if Cousins. If they win, you do, I think. I, if they if you win, they will. Yes. I think I think that's different hey, than should you. This they, is where you two end up kind of differing a lot are, on Bradford. They are what they're doing right now. In my opinion, is they are begging Sam Bradford to come to them and say. Twenty million a season. Yeah, I'm worth it. They are begging. Uh, here's where I can no longer answer your question, though, Ben Gessling. If the answer for if Sam Brad, if they win seven games, I don't think the structure of this franchise, as we know it today, sitting here, is there to make this decision. Yeah, I, that, that they, would be the big. If they question. go seven and nine, I think the GM is gone for sure. If the GM's gone, you know what? You're probably going to. The, the more I think about this change the coach because you're not going to bring a new it would make no sense to bring a gm in certainly a team like the bills could do it but it would make no sense for a good team a functional team uh to fire spielman 
and say, but Mike, you're safe. So I can't answer your question because I don't know what the decision makers off a seven win team would do because I think they would be almost entirely new. Well, I agree with that. Uh, when it comes to if the best you can possibly do is 15th, then you know how I feel about this. Yes, I do. I, I think you're <laughs> always looking for better than that. Um, maybe they would argue, hey, if he's 15th, we could just get him another playmaker and another playmaker. But then you know how that works. Maybe Xavier Rhodes decides he wants to hit the free agent market and get Stephon Gilmore money. Yeah. Or maybe Everson Griffin ages poorly. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Good defenses do not generally hold up for very long. I think we even saw that with Seattle. They were good for a couple of years, really, really good. And then last year, you start to see going downhill. Richard Sherman has his worst year. Uh, Earl Thomas gets hurt. You know what I mean? It's just that you can't count on your defense being this good for very long. So it's going to be that game of whack-a-mole where, okay, we've stacked everything around Sam Bradford. Uh-oh, now our defense is starting to corrode. I think if the best you could possibly do this year is in the middle of the league, then you do want to look for an upgrade, but I don't think that's how many teams look at it. And I think this team with a defensive head coach, if they go 7-9 and nine and make the first round of the playoffs, they'll feel like, oh, he just needs a few more players. In what context is 7-9 and nine get you the first round I'm of the playoffs sorry, in NFC North? I'm at 9-7. and seven. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, 9-7. and seven. All but right. like, I look at uh, Kansas City from last year. They ranked 16th in yards per play and 13th in points and decided to draft a quarterback and give up next year with their pick. Yep. They're thinking Alex Smith, just not going to get it done that we can rank 13th. We can make the playoffs, but every time we do with this guy, we're first round out for the most part. So we need to have someone with a higher ceiling than that. That's my thinking, but I don't think that's how this organization, this front office, this head coach, I don't think that's how they think. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. I I would agree with you on that front. I uh, it's it's worth remembering that John Dorsey, the GM in Kansas City, comes from watching Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, so he knows what it looks like to have the guy that completely makes the difference. And that's sort of my point here: is that the guys that you would seemingly want to pay are the guys that even if not everything is perfect around them. They are going to be able to get the job done and have a very efficient offense. The problem is there aren't that many of those guys. So you end up in that position of, do we pay the one that isn't quite the model we're looking for? There's what, five of them? Probably. About five? Probably. I mean, it's it's Rodgers, Brady, and we have this conversation all the time, probably yeah. Russell Wilson, um, Drew Brees, although he's getting on the older side of that. Um, it's a very elite yeah, at PJ it's Fletcher, small. Say, small list. Yeah, it is. But if they, if the Vikings disappoint this year, and if Bradford wins seven games, I'm fairly convinced that uh, our discussion next year will revolve around a new GM, probably a new coach, 
and a quarterback who's not here right now. Because I, the more you hear about Bridgewater, this it is doesn't be, sound great. This is and he, even if he is in a position to try and come back, I think he's going to have to prove that. So if if they win seven games and Bradford is not that good and they allow him to walk, I think Rick gets fired, Mike probably gets fired, and we are talking about either doing uh, what the Chiefs or Texans did, which is trading up to get a quarterback, or you're just flat out bad enough that you're in, in a position in what's going to be a deep quarterback draft where you draft one. And you yeah. start over again, and it's going to stink, but it's how this always plays out when it goes that way. And, and that that is the only scenario in which I see them starting over is that there's somebody new in here. Because I, I think when you have a, a regime that's been here that has had, I guess, tastes of success, uh, not sustained success, but enough they've had enough time that they're not going to want to go do the rebuilding thing. I, I think if if this regime is still here – I think Sam Bradford's going to be here as well because at some point it does become about, well, we can't build it all. We can't tear it all down because if we do, somebody's going to say it shouldn't be you doing the rebuilding pot. The one thing it. to keep in mind about this, and it might not be fair and, and it's fanboyish and stupid. Let's not underestimate how much ownership in the Wilfs are putting a pri- priority on the Super Bowl being here this year. Mm-hmm. The, yes, the, sir. The level, if this team craps winner, out. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. If this team craps out and does not make the playoffs, the Wilfs are going to handle it about as well as, as I did when I was four years old and didn't get my way. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. So that that's a whole nother. So for for. The listeners out there saying, oh, come on, you guys, you know, be realistic about this. I'm telling you, if they disappoint this year and don't make the playoffs, the fact that you miss qualifying for the playoffs in a year where the Super Bowl is in your stadium to this ownership group is going to be a big deal. Because remember how much they were building for certainly last year to some degree, but definitely this year in the sense of let's get a team that is coming into that stadium ready to win. And 2015, I think, was – Probably ahead of schedule in some ways, but uh, yeah, if they blow through the first two years of the stadium and now the Super Bowl is gone and you don't have the newest stadium in the league anymore, you're going to have missed a little bit of a window, and I, I don't think they would uh, would handle that well. I, I completely agree with you on that it's, front. It's really amazing how much Rick Spielman's future rests on the shoulders of Sam Bradford. Yeah. I yeah. think every GM's kind of does, but in this case, it's... His guy that he traded a first-round pick for yeah. that turned into Derek Barnett, who's an edge rusher, and maybe he's great or maybe he's not great. But the fact that you dealt away a first-round pick when you were in go-for-it mode and you did not get to where you said you could get to, yeah, there were many factors around it, all the injuries and everything else, and Blair Walsh couldn't make an extra point, but everybody goes through a lot of that stuff. And the bottom line is that right now the Sam Bradford trade is not a good one. You've, that's your midterm assessment. And you're not done paying the bill for it yet either. There's still yeah, another pick coming next year. It's Right, exactly. And so you, if you're grading it, like everyone loves to grade the drafts and stuff, but if you were grading that trade, you couldn't give it a good grade for him going 7-8 and eight and missing the playoffs and having one of the worst offenses in the NFL, which you could have had with Geno Smith yeah. if you had traded for him instead, right? You could have easily been 27th in the NFL. So if your midterm grade is a C-, minus, 
that right there, along with all the other things, but that right there puts you in the spotlight mm -hmm. that if that C- minus doesn't become at least a B+, plus, which is you making the playoffs next year, then that's the move that you have pinned your future on, essentially. I mean, when he did it, we knew that, right? Like, if this doesn't work out, yeah. then you probably aren't going to be here for very long. You have put your chips into the middle on Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and clearly, when Bridgewater got hurt, clearly he felt the pressure of, oh, my gosh, this team looks great on paper, right? I've got to go trade a first-round pick. As much as I, at the time, approved of the trade, the trade also reeked of panic. Yeah. And it was. I mean, if you had said to yourself, well, this was a really big blow. Teddy might come back eventually in a year or so, uh, and we'll go out and get Mark Sanchez or something. But he went out and spent a ton – a ransom because he because to Ben's point to the Will family this window is open now and plus keep in mind too you hired Zimmer based on the fact of what based on the fact that you believed that because you couldn't find a quarterback a great one that you were going to win on defense so eventually I think the Wilfs are going to say well you told us this Rick and it didn't work and now you're telling us that and you traded this and that so yeah and and I do think the whole thing is built and was built when the day from the day that Mike was hired to at least have a realistic chance a good one to qualify for the Super Bowl on February 4th and if you come nowhere near that People are going to start to pay with their jobs. Is there a scenario in which they could make the playoffs and we could still look at the trade as a big failure and that we could still have a new GM and head coach? Because I can think of one with a new GM. Uh, do tell. I would say no. That I would, think if they make the playoffs, that everybody stays. I think that you're probably right, but the one scenario that is possible to me would, of course, be a first round out and not a Super Bowl, yep. but also – if Mr. Delvin Cook embarrasses, in trouble. yes, embarrasses the oh, franchise yeah. in a significant way in a year in which they're hosting the Super Bowl, I think that Rick Spielman and his draft comments really missed the mark by a lot in the way he talked about Delvin Cook. He had details very wrong about Delvin Cook's background. He said that he trusted Cook because. He talked to him, and he told them to trust him. I mean, none of this sounds like the due diligence that he claimed that they were doing on every player when deciding who to red dot. And if Delvin Cook, early in the season or something like that, or at any point late in the season when they're racing for the playoffs, is arrested or whatever could happen that significantly embarrasses the franchise, I think that could still cost Rick Spielman his job. I could see that definitely be being a big part of the conversation. I also think if they, if the Green Bay Packers win the North, the Vikings win nine games and are a wild card. The Vikings go out in the first round, and the Green Bay Packers are playing here on Feb 4th. I think they're going to go ballistic. I think the Wills would go absolutely <laughs> ballistic. Um, I think the standard for, I'm telling you, in my opinion, the standard for the 2017 season is going to be really high. Really high, but yes, if Cook comes out now, and here's what I here, but here's what I don't get. This is what confuses me about this team time and time again. They've proven when they want to handle things right, they're pretty good about it. The Bridgewater injury thing was handled magnificently. Mm -hmm. It was the smartest thing I've ever seen. He's hurt really bad. Let's call a press conference. We'll bring Zim down. He'll talk about it. He's almost crying, but everybody walked away saying, "Well, that's impressive." 
The last two things that I don't get are uh, the day uh, when they announced that Peterson was going to continue playing, which was a Rick production, and now Delvin Cook. Why don't you bring out an executive, Warren, for Bring Kevin when Peterson Warren out. was going to continue playing back in 2014? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, but that first Rick press conference. Yes. Then they brought out Mark Will well. and Warren and all those guys, and they did a fine job. For the Get It Right press conference. Yeah, yeah. So why would Delvin Cook, who's got a, who's got legal problems? I mean, this is not a, oh, my goodness, he got a parking ticket. This is, this is a history of problems. Kevin Warren comes out with Rick and answers any legal questions. I mean, I don't understand why. Why do you, this whole, well, there's going to be one voice. Well, Rick clearly struggles to answer questions about guys with legal issues. Okay, he's pointed a fo- questions, but he's a yeah, but he's a football guy. My point is, my point is, he's a football guy. On that, on Friday night, Kevin Warren can stand by Rick, and when somebody says, "What about X, Y, and Z?" in Delvin Cook's past, Kevin Warren steps to the mic and says, "I can handle this, no problem." Kevin I mean, Warren, who has a legal background, yes, but my point, <laughs> yeah. but but my point is, Rick Rick continually in these situations gets set up to fail. Yeah. And he fails, yeah. but he fails as much as I'd probably fail. I mean, he's trying to answer questions that he can't answer. Well, it... it or that he's not good at answering. Yes. He can't. It, he's not good at it. But to Collar's point, this confuses me. I don't understand. This seems very simple to me. Lawyer answers legal questions. Football guy answers football questions. Everyone goes, that makes sense. Well, and the, Is that the, that big a request? Here's the other question here, is who was doing the due diligence on that part of it? Was it the football people doing the due diligence on the criminal and the legal part of it, or did they get the legal people involved? And if that's the case, say, these are the guys that did the work. They're going to answer those questions. We did the work on them on the football side, and we're going to talk about that. Well, that's I would agree with you. It seems what, very, very easy, which is probably why they don't do it. Well, that's what was so confusing to me, because in the pre-draft press conference... There was a big song and dance about all the background. We have our consultants, we've got our dots, and we've got our all these things. And it went on for 10 minutes of talking about background checks and everything else. Yep. And then when it comes to actually picking the guy, the GM goes up and sounds like he doesn't know anything about the background other than chatting with him. And that, And whether that's true or not, whether they did the actual due diligence or not, it just comes across as... Well, it doesn't sound like you really did. So if there's something that was in his background, like, oh, I don't know, going to trial for punching a woman, I I mean, that would be really concerning to your community, to your franchise. It seems like there would just be more of an answer there that would be prepared or written or something, and we got none of that. So I want to know... Like, did you really take that seriously or did you just talk with the guy and he told you, yeah, I'm good to go. We'll see. And so I think the way that he looked there. He's a big believer in sincerity and honesty in interview settings. If something goes wrong later, that will be brought up quite a bit. And I think I think if your ownership, then you will circle back and say, you know, on that night, you didn't even know what the charges were. So, or that there were charges, right? That there were charges. So you really made a mistake here, and it ended up resulting in our franchise taking a hit. That's a big problem. Oh, plus we went nine and seven again. That will matter too. <laughs> and now you're if, really fired. If we win the Super Bowl, it'll be like, ah, well, who cares? Yep, but right. if you go nine and seven and the Packers win the Super Bowl, then combine all that, then I think he could still go. I think the fundamental problem that that football teams have is this. Their lead football executives are were born to be evasive 
in answering questions yeah. about football, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, if you if you don't want to tell him because you're going to get out there and say Dalvin Cook's going to be used by the coaching staff, I just draft the players. You know, yeah. I I go shopping for. Okay, that's fine. That's cute. You don't have to tell me. But the problem then is they carry that into questions of well, what, what do you know about this guy's past? In that case, transparency is the smart play. But Rick doesn't know that. Rick's still on, he's in his football mode, thinking, "Well, I'm going to tell you as little as possible," and then he screws it up, and it looks worse. And this with is things what, that are public records. Yes, too. And, but this but this gets back to my point. I don't understand why you don't bring up your lawyer guy and your football guy and have the lawyer guy answer the legal questions, because then at least you're not going to look foolish. Because the whole thing on Friday unnecessarily looks foolish. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I, I think as we, as we talked about on the radio. There's always a bit of a moving target with these guys, right? I mean, you're, yes. you're you are talking to guys that have been coached up by agents, by advisors, by people at their college about, okay, this is what this is like. Here's what they're going to ask you. Here's how you answer these questions. And you're you're constantly trying to guess, okay, was this something that he did when he was 18 that he's going to repeat when he's 21? I think there's probably a, a chance of, you know, people that that have a history of of making those types of mistakes certainly doing it again. I, I think statistics and, and probably research about criminology would, would show you that. But do you hope that he stays out of trouble or do you say it's going to be something that's going to happen again? I mean, you're always sort of trying to figure out where this is going to go and it depends on the situation. It depends on who he's with. depends on the people that are influencing him, how he handles now having money. I mean, all of that stuff I, I get is a difficult course to manage but if you mess it up you are going to have to answer for that and i think that there really isn't a great way to predict whether someone is going to turn things around that part is hard yeah and be a happy wonderful person or if they're going to have some some problems i don't think that there is an easy way you're just basically saying well i'm just going to take this risk and then we'll see how it works out which I think if you're in certain positions is okay. Um, the Patriots seem to get away with it all the time when they do things like mm-hmm. that. If you're in other positions, it might cost you your job. Is but the it, way that I it would help you, I think. If he does goof up, it would help you to not have everybody, which we're all going to do, go back to draft night and say, Agree. you know, well, right. he sounded prepared. I mean, it, it would help you to have everybody going back and say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the guy goofed up, but it sounded on draft night like they'd done everything they needed to do, whereas in this case it sounded a little like, yeah, he had these little problems, but we're not that worried about it, and well, you guys shouldn't be worried about it either. And that's the part that's bothersome to me, because it's just flat-out insulting to have someone stand there and tell you, no big deal, no big deal. What you? Why not just – I understand why his college coach did that to us. I understand why – because his college coach has nothing to lose there. Yeah, great guy. I don't remember any problems. Mm-hmm. Bye. I never have to talk to you guys yeah. again, basically, yep. until yep. we draft a Florida State player next time. Mm-hmm. But with Rick Spielman, you are insulting our intelligence and all the fans by saying, no big deal, it's fine, he's good, he's good to go, by not even acknowledging, really, that there were not just one problem but a record over the last five or six years of incident after incident by not acknowledging that and just saying we got it, which they do with football all the time when they really don't. But like you said, Judd, you can't just be in that mode. 
You can't just be like, hey, look, you know, TJ Clemmings only makes five mistakes a game. It's fine. Right. But then you're like, yeah, five is kind of a lot. But that's the game we play with each other in football analysis. Right. But when you're talking about real life stuff like this, you can't just say, oh, we, we got it, guys. Don't worry about it. And that, that, was the big, that was the big mistake for me that he made that night. It was just taking the wrong tone there. Question uh, for both you guys concerning the defense. My biggest concern since the season ended and uh, and uh, the captain left for Carolina remains my concern. Uh, are we dealing with hubris when it comes to the fact that the nickel position will just be filled? Because we've already, both of you can demonstrate from snap counts and percentages, this is a starting position. It's also in the secondary. We all know that in 2017, teams love to pass. Uh, the Vikings have done, as far as I can tell, very little. They're counting on a guy who had a rough first year. How much are we dealing with a potential for unmitigated disaster at a position where if it goes wrong, you don't just sort of lose a quarter or you don't just sort of look bad. You lose football games. The same with the offensive line. I will wait and see if they do anything more in free agency before I say for sure that I think that they're walking a tightrope here because that's what I think right now by saying, no, Mackenzie Alexander can compete for that job or maybe Terrence Newman can do that now when that hasn't been his position. Those things to me are taking a big risk with how important that is. Think about who Captain Munnerlyn matched up with last year. Yes. Larry Fitzgerald, T.Y. Hilton. Jordy Nelson. He played some good players, and he was very good at it. And now you're asking a second-year guy who showed nothing in year one to step in and win that job or what. Now, there are still some free agents out there. Uh, Brandon Flowers is is a possibility. Brandon or Flowers. I know. Seems like right? you hear about Brandon Flowers always, every year, doesn't always it? Always Brandon Flowers, but... Corey Graham is another guy who plays safety and corner. There are other guys that they could pick up. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, I would say, okay, you're much more solid there than you are as we talk right now. But they did not address the secondary at all in the draft. Well, and the, the thing, and you see them get into this mode a little bit at certain positions. I mean, they, they generally are better, I think, than a lot of quote-unquote draft and develop teams about realizing, hey, we got to go supplement some of our holes here in free agency. They do that. For the most part, but there are positions sometimes where they say, "Okay, we're just going to let this guy go and, and hope he develops into it." And this is one of those that you better be right because we've seen this before. Yes, they tried this four years ago, albeit with a player that I think probably was never going to make it as an NFL corner, no matter whether he was inside or outside. And Josh Robinson, but when that goes bad, it becomes you become that becomes the guy. I mean, I remember that game in 2013 when Ben Roethlisberger played the, the the Vikings in London. He threw at Josh Robinson the entire night. He gets Mackenzie Alexander in week two. Where do you think Ben Roethlisberger is going to be throwing the ball the entire game? Yeah. And oh, by the way, he has Antonio Brown at the peak of his powers, which he didn't have quite to that degree back then. So, um, that. That is one of those spots where if it doesn't work, you are going to notice it, and it's going to hurt your defense in a pretty big way. And when Zimmer developed Xavier Rhodes a few years back, that was very much in a Xavier's maturing and we've got time here, but they had time then. So so if Rhodes, if his development hadn't been accelerated like it was, it would have hurt, but you know, you'll you would have lost some games in a year in which you just lost games. 
There's no time to learn on the job mm-hmm. in 2017. This is not a, well, but look how Trey Waynes is developing and Rhodes is still great. Yeah, you know, McKenzie's not so good. No, if McKenzie's not good, you lose games. Mm-hmm. Once again, people will lose their jobs yeah. this time. Not a rebuild is no. the way I would put it. So let's Correct. wrap it up like this. Give me a grade for the draft overall, and, and with the understanding that these don't really mean much more than the air that we use to, to speak them out, but uh, give me a grade. I think I would say B. Uh, that leaves enough room for me to go, you did some things that I think could work out really well, and then you also did things like drafting a linebacker when there were some future tackles there that I thought you probably shouldn't have gone for a run-stuffing linebacker. Those yeah. just those guys are everywhere and don't have a whole lot of value. That's where I would have preferred to see a, a future safety, a future cornerback, because this draft did have a lot of good cornerbacks and safeties in it yes. where maybe you could have gotten someone who would make more of a long-term and short-term impact than Ben Gideon's going to yeah. make this year. I'll give it a good, solid C right now. Sports uh, Grinch. Well, here's here's the problem. Among the multitude of problems, here's my problem. Rick thinks throwing numbers at things is throwing quality at things. It was too, yes, the offensive line. Of the agree. offensive line last year. If you ever want to go to school on, on on Rick Spielman's potential failures, training camp last year. Look at all the offensive linemen we got here. Yeah. Well, guess what? That's fine. But if it lacks quality, then it might as well be. Ben Gessling, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zolgad. So, <laughs> so when you walk away with eleven picks and, and you have four in the seventh round, and you're thrilled because you got you made so many trades. I think Rick is Rick is his worst en- enemy at times when Rick gets too cute. So I'll say it's a C because I'm very curious if the back end of this draft is good or it's just a lot of names. I, I'm with you, Collar. I'll give it a B. I, I like the Cook pick. Um, I, I think there are some things at the end of the draft that give you a chance to to maybe hit on those guys, but it's a lot of trades down for a team that has a lot of holes, and they accumulated more picks. And there is the theory of just being able to throw darts at things. You, the more darts you get to throw, the better you may have it all work out. But the pick, yeah, Ben Gideon instead of a corner there, or instead of a tackle, there were a couple of tackles there that I thought might have made sense, even though it's not a great tackle draft. I, I think that was a pick that that could be uh, one where they missed it a little bit there. We'll have to see how that works out. But, yeah, I would give it a B uh, with the understanding that it could get a lot better than that. It could get a lot worse, and, and we will certainly have a better answer to that question than we will today. We will see them all on the field this week, uh, later this week for rookie camp. I'm sure we'll be back next week to break down what we saw and look forward to the rest of the offseason. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed our draft coverage on our various platforms, and we'll talk to you soon.